0: I, uh, as I said last week and pretty much said every week, I'm really enjoying this study through Hebrews. We're talking about better. Uh, Hebrews 8, 6 says that what we have is established upon better promises than the old. Not that the old is bad, but that, this, that Christ is better, that everything about the gospel is better for you and I, uh, and Christ is better in our lives, and the promises that we have are better than what they had even under the old covenant and uh, they're established it says according uh, on better promises and so as we've been studying through this we've looked at a couple of different things last week I talked to shared with you about entering into the rest of God and that there is a place of rest that we can have in our lives it doesn't mean that we're not working anymore it just means that we are at peace and rest and confidence knowing that God's with us that God's going to help us we've Talked about several different aspects of uh, how that Christ is better uh, in all respects to the law. That Christ is better. Now we're going to look at how that Christ is better than the priesthood, and that'll be for a, a couple of weeks that we'll be getting into different aspects of that. So, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it to the Book of Hebrews, chapter four, with me. Amen. Thank you. Hebrews chapter four, and we're going to be right at the towards the end of Hebrews chapter four this morning. And looking at verses 14 through 16. And I did. Uh, we do have uh, slides, I believe, today. And uh, so those of you that did not bring a Bible, you can read long up there with us. So he goes on and he says in Hebrews 4.14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, he says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so this is so powerful because as we look at this passage and as we, we look at what he's trying to what the what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us is is that we have an advocate. We have that Jesus is our mediator the word the when we talk about what a priest is a priest is the one who mediates between uh, man and God and between God and man okay prophets you know when you talk about in the Old Testament they had prophet priests and kings basically prophets gave the direction of God to the people that's what their role was they were the declares they spoke on behalf of God to mankind the priest, though, was the mediator. He was one that stood between God and man, giving to man what God had, and man giving to the priest to give back to God. And so when we look at this, and we'll look at this in a little bit of depth here today, that, that the, the idea of the mediator, that you and I have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, that he is our high priest for you and I, that he, uh, all of the system, the the old system is, is, is done away and is fulfilled now in Jesus Christ, who is the high priest. And so he gets into, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but he begins to get into this idea about that Jesus was under the order of Melchizedek, that this priest, uh, uh, the king of Salem. And so, but I want you just to, as you're looking at this passage I want you to notice this last part that he says, look, you can come boldly to the throne of grace that you can obtain mercy and find grace to help in, in time of need. See When you know, Chuck gave that word earlier, and I, and I concur with that, that look, there are those who are still in a dark place. I've been in some dark places in my life. But we have to remember that it isn't the circumstances that are going to change that's going to pull us out of a dark place that it's that we're running to him who can help us, he who has the power to deliver us, to set us free, to give us the freedom that we need in our lives. He says here that you and I, that we have the right because of what Jesus has done for us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we could obtain, that we could receive that into our lives and find the grace that we have, that we need to help us in our time of need. Our time of need is interesting as it as you play that those words out in the Greek language, because it's two words and it means, uh, it's the word eu which means well or good, and then it's the second word kairos, e kairos is what it basically says, and kairos is not like the word in the Greek chronos which is where we talk about time clicking away, you know minutes and hours and days kairos is more used in the bible of seasons that happen in our lives so when it talks about this it says look when you and i we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we could obtain mercy and find grace to help us because we need that help in the good season the 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 right season the the well season the time in our lives when we're going through this that that this is something that look is a is a timely opportunity for you and I when that opportunity we're in that season you know bad we don't typically just have a bad moment it seems like sometimes we're having bad days bad weeks bad bad years bad months and so what do we do in those moments when we're facing those times in our lives we come boldly to the throne of grace because it's at that Throne that we receive the grace that we need in our lives to help us to be able to fulfill the promises of God. That's what grace does for you and I. Grace gives us the power and the strength. It's God's free gift to us, you know, that we're saved by grace. It gives us all that ability to do what the word of God says we can do. That's what grace does for us. That's why Paul in Corinthians, when he was going through a difficult time, and he was facing these adversaries everywhere he went. And he said, God, I'm so tired of dealing with this thorn in the flesh, these adversaries that are attacking me, this messenger of Satan, that everywhere I go, it's, people are stirred up. I get thrown in jail. I get rocks thrown at me. I'm tired of it. And he yelled out to God, take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, What was he saying? He said, look, I'm going to give you the I've given you the ability through my grace to endure through this. The season, you know, it never did stop. The difficulties never did stop. But Paul became bigger than his challenge whenever the grace of God was at work in his life. And when you and I, when we realize in our lives that in our time of need is the time that we need to run to the throne of God. To come boldly to the throne. I love that it uses the word boldly here because boldly means in the Greek language to have confidence, outspokenness. It, it means come like you belong there. And what he's saying is, look, Jesus has made a way that you can come to the throne of grace boldly because you belong there because of what Jesus has done for you as your mediator. He has made away from you, and you have all the access that you need to all the grace that you need and all the mercy that you need to endure through whatever that day is, whatever that season is that you're going through right now. Are you in a tough season right now? Are you in that moment this morning where you're in a tough season and what you're facing, the, the challenges of your faith, the fight of faith, you know, as long as we live on this earth, we will fight the good fight of faith. That will never go away. The battles may change, but the war continues on. We will always have new things because, look, we're, we live in an environment that was totally surrendered. Just so you, let's get this straight. We live in a world that was totally surrendered to Satan, Satanic oppression. And it's through the grace of God and through God working through men and through Jesus Christ coming into this earth that we can have a better way than living under the satanic oppression that came through the sin of Adam and Eve. Amen. That God teach, But we always have to remember that no matter what we do in life, anything we do according to God's word will always be like paddling your canoe against the flow of the river. The flow of the river leads one way. The flow of the river has not changed. Did you notice that? You know, when I became a Christian, the flow of the river didn't change just because I got saved. But what I did get was the ability, the grace, to be strong enough to go, the, to go a different direction. To be able to not have to go with the flow. To not be able to go, not have to go with the flow. You know, when I, when I, when I really, you know, my experience with Christ was that, uh, you know, I always believed in God, went to church, had all that, you know, in my life. But it was between my, my freshman and my sophomore year that I really, of college, that really things became much more solidified in my life as far as my understanding. One was because I really re- wasn't reading the Bible, you know, Bible reading changes your life because it does. It just—it's just a flat-out fact that when you read the Word of God, it will change your life, because the Word is spirit and life. It's not just a bunch of words on pages. It's spirit and life. It's what—it's the—it's the power. You know, of the gospel and the transformative power of what the Word can do in our lives. It's a quick two-edged sword. We read last week there in Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve. So. I started reading the Bible. Well, things really started changing in my life. I mean, incredibly. And I totally flat out just said, I'm on this now. I'm going to totally surrender to what the Lord has in my life. And when I made that decision in my life, when I came to that place, it was a very supernatural thing. I tended to be much more quiet and reserved unless I was drunk. And I was much more quiet, reserved, never spoke up never witnessed anybody never told anybody about you know never never really talked a lot about my christianity to people um, and uh... all of a sudden i became a changed man something totally radically happened in my life i had a professor that was um, who was my advisor who was a gra- graduate from harvard uh... had his phd from harvard he was a harvard meritus he was you know summa cum laude top of the line and uh... he and i Actually, it was amazing because in my classes with him at my freshman year were totally different than my classes with him my sophomore year because something happened in that, in that summer and when I would go to those classes with him and if he said something in the class that was not biblically correct, I was always going to challenge him on it. And I did. And you know, it wasn't like I was prideful or I was going, well, I know more than you do. I just, look, when you're wrong, you're wrong. And so, amen, right? I mean, it's not like I'm saying I'm better than anybody or that I'm smarter than anybody, but I can read the Bible, and you need to read the Bible because what you're telling people isn't true. And I mean, right in class, in front of other students, he and I got into arguments with, but, and this is a Harvard emeritus, and I'm just a dumb kid from Mogador, Ohio, so I mean, but, but what happens is, is that the grace of God in our lives gives us the strength to do things we could not do before. You know, Peter was a weenie until he actually got filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you all here? I mean, you look at what he did on the day of Pentecost, a guy who's running and hiding and scared and getting into fights with his cohorts and arguments, and all of a sudden, here he is on the day of Pentecost, a fisherman, who's quoting out of the book of Joel, telling everybody by the Holy Spirit that this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I mean, and he preaches this powerful sermon and thousands of people come to Christ. And I'm sure no one was more amazed than Peter. Maybe his mother-in-law, but but, but nobody was more amazed than Peter. Because see, that's what grace does in our lives. And we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. So you might be, look, I'm I'm telling you, you might be limping along this morning in life, but what you need to do is stop limping and start running to to the throne of grace where you can get the grace, obtain the grace that's been given to you. You gotta take it. You gotta take it. The word obtain here is actually a military word if you do some deep study on it. And it means to grab hold of, to take what's, to take what's rightfully yours. You have to obtain it. You don't just, it just doesn't happen. You have to go for it. You have to say, God, I need this in my life. I can't go on without your grace, God. So I'm asking you to give me grace and mercy in my time. Are you in a time of need today? If you're in that place, in that moment, even this morning with what you're going through in your life, look, then what you and I have to realize is that in our time of need God has an unconditional response. He has an unconditional response. He suffered the temptations we face, and this is why he is able to sympathize with us. That's what this whole passage was talking about, is that, look, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to go through stuff. He he has experienced all of it, everything that we go, to quit, to, to fear, all those things, but he never subjected himself. He never allowed himself to give in to it because he had something greater to draw upon. It wasn't just discipline. It was the grace of God. If you read your Bible, when Jesus was tempted in the garden... He said to the Lord, if it's possible, take this away, but not my will, but yours be done. But you got to read the, all the passage because it says, and the angels came and ministered to him. So see, there is strength that comes from God when we take a stand upon what his word says. And so there, there is an, a mercy, there is a grace that God wants to give to us. Our time of need causes, is, is, is realized in his unconditional response, that he is he has what's called sympatheo, which means this word sympathizes, that he knows what that suffering is like. You know, we're we're amazing people because in our own mind we're the thing, we think we're the only one that's ever gone through what we're going through. You know, when I got married and we were having marriage problems. I thought we, something was wrong with us because we were having marriage problems. And then I started talking to some Christian leaders and I found out that everybody has marriage problems. The couples argue. I thought we were the only ones that deal with financial pressure. And then I found out there's a whole lot of people that deal with financial. We that's the the nature our carnal nature that thinks poor me, I'm the only one that's going through this. I'm the only one that's got kids that haven't served God and were raised in church. I'm the only one that's got this problem. I'm the only one that's been through a baloney. Look, and what God wants you to know is every Jesus wants you to know is everything you're feeling, he has felt and can sympathize with that. That's why, even more so, he can give you what you need. See, if you know what it's like to go through something, then you can give people what they need while they're going through it. But if you don't know what they're going through, how do you relate to what's happening in their life, okay? To give them what they need, to give them the word they need, to give them the encouragement, to give them the anointing that they need. He has an unconditional response. And that response is mercy for our past sins and grace for our future work, the trials we face, and our resistance to temptation. Let me say that again. His unconditional response to us is mercy for our past sins. Though your sins were red as crimson, now they are made white as wool. They're clean. It's gone. The only one thinking about your sin is you. If you've repented at the cross of Jesus Christ, you've received his forgiveness, then you're the only one beating yourself up or you're letting the enemy beat you up over it. Okay? And what we have to realize and understand in our own lives is that that is all under God's mercy. That's the mercy of God to you and I, that he says, look, I know what you did. I know who you are. I know secret stuff. You know that God knows all the secret stuff you've done that nobody else knows about. And yet, he chooses to forgive you as you come to him. I'm glad that we're repenting of sins didn't mean I had to name every sin, aren't you? I'd have been there. I'd probably still be there. I'm glad it's not all naming every sin, but when I repent of my sins, it's more that I'm turning to him and I'm saying, "God, I need your help." to be able to live the life that you have for me. But not only does he give us mercy for our past sins at that throne of grace, but he gives us grace for our future work because there is a work, and we're going to come back to this in a moment, but there is a work that God has called every one of us to. He gives us grace for the trials that we will face in life, the difficulties that we will face in our lives. And he gives us the grace so that we can resist temptation in our lives. There is a grace that God gives to us that when temptation comes, that we're able to turn away from that temptation by his grace, that we have the strength. The temptation, you know, when we talk about temptation, we a lot of times think about things like, you know, maybe alcohol or the temptation to uh, pornography or the temptation to tell a lie. But how about the temptation that so many of God's people are dealing with, the temptation to quit? To just give up. But God can give Give us the grace, the grace that you and I, we can obtain that if we come to the right place to receive what he has for us. So our time of need causes his unconditional response to you and I. And then what happens is this incredible miracle, what grace does in our lives. Because grace does not just give us the ability to endure what we're going through it gives us the ability to overcome what we're going through. And, now watch this, and to lead others to overcome as well. Because his unconditional response leads us to our call to serve. Our call to serve. You know, I've shared this so many times uh, in the past, but it's, I find it always worth bringing up. You know, one of the greatest psychologists of psychiatrists uh, considered in the psychiatric field was Menninger. And uh, he, w- this woman had come to him and said, I'm so depressed and I'm so down and I'm so upset and I, I can't go on and I, 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 I'm just so, f- I need help. And the manager said to her, he says, okay, I can help you. And she said, you can? And he said, absolutely. You know, and she's thinking, I'm gonna go through therapy and I'm gonna go through all this stuff. And, uh, and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out the door you just came through and I want you to go down the stairs uh, and, and I want you to go to the outside door, and I want you to walk down the street, and if you go about two or three blocks, you're going to find somebody that's way worse off than you are today. And when you do, I want you to start helping them. And I promise you, when you start helping those who are way worse off than you are, you will no longer be depressed. You'll no longer be depressed. You know, the, the Bible, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, look, I'm not trying to pick it us that we deal with depression, because I come from a long history of family members that battled depression, okay? but What depression does, the Bible tells you anxiety in the heart causes depression. That's what the scripture tells us, that anxiety. See, you, you know, should we be shocked that all the anxiety in the world right now, that there's more depression and a lot of suicide that's happening because of that depression. Because people don't just see any way out. They just, they're so anxious. They're tired of feeling the way they feel about life and everything that's going on that there have been a bunch teenagers and 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 adults and it's just and preachers that have taken their lives and and it's just absolutely overwhelming because anxiety in the heart causes depression and depression what it will do in a person's life is is that it will move us completely onto ourselves because see depression is all about us being upset about what's happening to us Now I'm talking about clinical depression here. I'm talking about just the depression that people because we're on us. You know, the enemy has done a great job of turning our whole system towards the individual and focusing on the individual. And we need to we need to acknowledge in our lives that we're all subject to that, but that God is not about us being stuck on ourselves that he has a greater purpose for God's people. Than that we come to church and gather in holy huddles so we have the strength to be able to get through another week. Well, Pastor, just pray for me that I can hold on till the end. God had a greater plan than just that you could hold on to make it to heaven, okay? God's greater plan was not just that you would receive His grace and mercy but that you would give his grace and mercy to the world. And that's our call to serve. Our priest or mediator now makes us priests and mediators by the priesthood of Melchizedek. And this is a real interesting study, and I will not have time to get into the depths of this. But folks ask about who is Melchizedek? Is he Jesus in the Old Testament? And he could be. I don't think the point is whether... it's a what they call a Christophany, which is a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. There are places I do think that has happened, and perhaps Melchizedek was one of those kinds of things, but we do know that Melchizedek, according to the scriptures, was the king of Salem, that he was a priest of righteousness, and that when Abraham came to Melchizedek, which was the first occurrence that we see of him, that Melchizedek is not a Levite. You know, all of the... Old Testament priests were all Levites. They were the tribe of Levi. That's where the priesthood all came from. The Bible tells us that Jesus is, is, is our high priest under the order, if you look at what it says in, um, in Hebrews 5.10, it says that he, Jesus is called by God as a high priest according to the order of Mel- Melchizedek. This is extremely significant for you and I the order of melchizedek that christ jesus this this that's perp- that's told to us here in the scriptures is an extremely important ministry and a and it's a different function than what the levites did okay than what the levites would have done what did the levite priests do the levite priests stood as mediators for the sins of the people they they took the sacrifices right they made those sacrifices. The Levites—they would be the ones. Their their priesthood would be ones who would bring the sacrifices, make atonement for the sins of the people. That was their responsibility. They would, you know, go before the prayers, the altar, prayer of incense for the people. Everything they did was them going to God for the people. The order of Melchizedek is really powerful because it's about God coming to the people. It's about God bringing who he is to the people. And I want you to, I want you to see this. And you have to look at this in the Old Testament. If you're studying along with me. Genesis 14 and verse 18 and, uh, through 20. And it tells us there, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine and was the priest of God Most High. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Remember, this is all way before the Levitical priesthood. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now, a lot of times when we read this, we get more focused on the aspect of the tithe because that's what Abram's response was. But I want you to notice here, as you look at Melchizedek, that everything that's happening here is Melchizedek did. It isn't about what Abram did. Abram, it says that then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him. So everything that's happening here is initiated, not by Abram, are you with me? But is initiated by Melchizedek, and this is the order that you and I, that this order of Melchizedek that Jesus Christ is under that order, all right? Now there are a couple of different aspects I want you to look at here in this passage, okay? One is, is that Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. Jesus is our king, and he is our priest. That's going to be important that's going to be important later on because we're going to look at another passage. But that order of Melchizedek is, is that not only is he a priest, and he, it says he's in Salem, which later becomes Jerusalem. Um, He's the, the king of peace, basically, is what Salem means, is peace. And so Melchizedek is both the leader, the king there, and he is the priest there, okay? Melchizedek brings Abram to the table, not the altar. Now, this is really, really important, all right? He brings him to the table. What's at the table? Bread and wine, right? He doesn't come say, Abram, come to the altar like the Levites would because everything was about the altar with the Levites. Everything. Everything that was happening was happening because of at the altar. It's all about the altar. Come to the altar. Experience the altar. What Melchizedek is bringing Abram to is to the table. And it's at, this is so significant because that's what Jesus did For you and I, he said, look, when you eat the bread and you drink from the cup, do it in remembrance of me because I'm bringing you to the table. You get to sit at the table now. Remember when you were a kid and, and, you know, they'd have Thanksgiving dinner and you sat over at the card table and all the adults sat at the big table, right? Well, let me tell you, Jesus said, and it was a big deal when they said, come on over to our table. Jesus said, sit down here with me at this table. Okay, sit down, and this is so awesome, and I, like I said, I'm going to run out of time this morning, but, but I want you to think about a couple of things here. At the table, it's a level playing field. All right? It's not that Jesus isn't, is like us, but it's a level. He's sitting down face to face. At the altar, we are facing towards God, obviously, when we come to the altar and we're making our sacrifices, but at the table... You're in a relational. You don't sit down. Look, you, when you sit down with someone at the table, you've entered into a place of vulnerability with that individual, and you are sitting in a face-to-face relationship with them. It's relational. It's relational. And there's always this tendency in our Christian faith that we keep trying to move back to Jesus in a Levitical priesthood. There really is. To go back to the altar. And, I, and look, I'm not against... Altar calls and coming to the altar and repenting of sin. That's all extremely important. But we need to remember in our thinking about the order of Melchizedek that it's about sitting down at the table with our priest, our mediator. It's about entering into that relationship. Melchizedek at the table. Watch this now. Melchizedek at the table... Proclaim blessings. He proclaimed blessings. He said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave, then of course, he gave him tithe of all. So when we talk about that, the blessings these blessings that are being offered under this order of Melchizedek, we think about Jesus. What does Jesus bring to you and I? Well, he gives us his self, obviously, and says, sit down at the table with me, do this in remembrance of me. But what are some of the blessings that he gives to us? Salvation. He gives to us healing. He gives to us deliverance. He gives us peace. He gives us a future, and he gives us a hope. So Melchizedek, this order of Melchizedek, he's a both king and priest. And Melchizedek brings you to the table, not to the altar. Melchizedek proclaims blessings. And then I know if you notice there in that passage, Melchizedek also praises God for his mighty works. So he's a declarer of the mighty works of God. Melchizedek, stay with me. The order of Melchizedek is a mediator of blessing, is a priest of blessing. He brings blessings wherever he goes when he's with them. And then, out of that, he receives Abram's response. No response, really, from Abram until after all the blessing and the, the wine and the bread have been served. And then Abram responds and gives tithes to the mediator of heaven. Now, I said all that to say this. You and I, because we are called through Jesus Christ our Lord, are under the same order of Melchizedek. We are priests. Well, I thought the priest, you know, he had to go to seminary. No. That's a lie. We are priests because of who we believe in and what we have received from him, not because of our education. You are priests of God. Now you say, well, where's that at? Well, I could show you all kinds of verses with it, okay? Look at 1 Peter 2:5. You also, Peter said, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2:9, four verses later. But you are a chosen generation. And notice this now. You are a royal. You're a kingly priesthood. You're a holy nation his own special people that you can proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then when you look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, and you look at it, especially in the King James Version, it says that in Revelation 1, 5, that he has made us, you and me, kings and priests to our God. We're kings and, we're kings and mediators. We're a royal priesthood. That's the order of Melchizedek. It's not the order of the Levite. You are not Levites. Jesus, you know, was not even a Levite. He's of the tribe of Judah. So the order that he is fulfilling and serving under is this order of Melchizedek is one who is entering relationally with those across the table, is providing blessings, speaking blessings to people and speaking blessings about God into the earth as a declarer of the blessings of God in Revelation 1 5 through 6 in the uh, in the uh, passion translation it says and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from among the dead and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his own blood and to the one who has made us to rule as a kingly priesthood to serve his God and Father and to him be glory and dominion through the eternity of eternities. You know, this is such a great example of what Isaiah experienced in the, and, and I will wrap up with this this morning. What Isaiah experienced when Uzziah died. In Isaiah 6, King Uzziah has died. He is their leader. He is their inventor. He is, their, he is just this amazing king who had done all this great work for, for the people, and he dies. And Isaiah is depressed, and he has this vision, and he sees the throne room of God. Remember the throne of grace that you can obtain mercy in time of need and, and grace and mercy. And he sees this throne room, and, and he's in the throne room, and he's like, man. Wow, and he says, I'm just overwhelmed by what's here. And he says, and I hear the angels and they're singing, holy, holy, and man, the, everything's shaking, there's smoke everywhere. I mean, it's so powerful. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind-shattering. It's so amazing to Isaiah. It's so amazing to Isaiah. That his response back to God, now watch this, is God, I don't belong here. I'm not worthy to be here. Lord, I don't deserve what you're what you, who you are and what you have. I, I, I shouldn't be seeing all of this. And what is God's response to all of that? Did he say, you're right, son, you don't deserve to be here, and you really are not worthy. And No, what did God say? He said to one of the angels, Take a, go get a coal from the altar and bring it over and touch his lips, and he'll be made clean. See, there's mercy. There's mercy. And he touches Isaiah's lips and he's made clean. And Isaiah is standing there clean before the Lord. He knows his his sins are forgiven. But see, now watch, this is because this is how God works. What does God do? You see the verse right there. And he said, go ahead, next verse. Whom will I send? That's what he does. I mean, you know, who am I going to send? Who will go for us? And that's where Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. See, the, the, this, this image and this idea is of mercy and of grace. You say, well, Pastor, I would, you know, I would, if God would give me the ability to be able to, I would, go. well, look, if you go, God will give you the ability, okay? You've got to take the first step. You take the first step and be the mediator, not the Levite priest, the Melchizedek priest. The one who is declaring blessing and life to people. That's speaking over the nation's life instead of death. You know, it's, look, it's easy. It's, let me tell you why it's so easy to curse things. Because they're already cursed. Let me say that again so it just sinks in. It's easy to call out the curses because everything is already cursed. We're crying out loud. I mean, look, you know, big duh that you could figure out that that's wrong and that's evil and that's wicked and that there's judgment coming because of it. It's cursed. that's why. But the mediator, the Melchizedek order, declares blessing, sits down at the table, what did Jesus do when he came to people? Here he is, he's with little old Zacchaeus. I mean, you know, he says, I'm going to your house. What's all the, the Levitical-minded people say? Uh, you don't want to hang out with him because, you know, do you not know what kind of dude he is? He's not good. He has a bad rap. He's, a, he's all these things. What did Jesus do? The Melchizedek priesthood Order, He's, he goes to his home. He says, I'm coming to your house today and I'm going to be with you. And to Zacchaeus, that changed everything. That's sets a blessing to them. In our mind, it's not like if I said I'm going to come over to your house, you wouldn't be like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Pastor's coming to my house. He's so, he's so anointed. He's so powerful. He's coming to my house, my, my my leader. My I mean, you're not going to call up 10 of your friends and say, can you believe it? Pastor Jolliffe is coming to my house today. Woo. Yeah. But to Zacchaeus, when Jesus said, I'm coming, he's, what's he thinking? I'm not worthy to have this guy at my house. He, does, I shouldn't, he shouldn't be coming to me. But he said he's coming and he's bringing who he is to my home, to my family, to my friends. So what does Zacchaeus do? Party time. Let's get them all in here because we got a blesser instead of a curser. And lives were transformed because of it. You'll find in the world that you can affect more people by blessing than you can by cursing. Than you can by cursing. Well, I don't, know, I don't know how to tell people about what Jesus has done for me. Well, just tell them how he's blessed you. How he accepted you. How he loved you when you weren't lovely. How he gave you a new life when you deserved death. Can I get a better amen? the Melchizedek priesthood when it says come boldly to the throne of grace that you can obtain mercy in time of need then he goes into this whole about the priesthood of Melchizedek because this is what we've got to get in our hearts in God's kingdom is, is that we are now the order of Melchizedek in the earth we are the priests we're the ministers it's not relinquished to pastors and worship leaders and elders and deacons it's relinquished Jesus gave this to all who are willing to receive and to be that person, to sit down at the table and be a blessing to people, to be a blessing. Let me pray for you. Chuck, go ahead, you can get ready. Father, I thank you today, Lord God, that you've called us to be mediators. That, Lord, as we pray here at the altar this morning, Lord God, that we are mediators. We are mediators of everything that you have, that you have purposed to bring to our lives. The. Salvation and healing, deliverance, Lord God, hope for tomorrow. Thank you, Father God, that we can receive, Lord, especially if we're in a time of need here today. Especially. And I feel in the Holy Spirit that that when I was talking about depression earlier, and I was talking about someone that, that's struggling suicidal, that that you immediately thought of somebody. And listen, you need to ask for prayer. You don't have to give out names and things like that, but you need to get someone in agreement with you over that. Because if this thing keeps, uh, in fact, I, I know this by the spirit of the Lord, that this thing keeps coming back to you about, you know, this person that they could take their life because they're so down. They're so discouraged. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you. That, Lord, we will hear your voice today that says, who will go? Who can, who can we send that will go for us? And God, may each and every one of us in our own hearts say, here I am, God. Send me. Send me. To be a blessing. In Jesus' name. Just one more thing, Chuck. Amen. Sometimes in a service, and I've had this experience myself, there is a moment, a sending moment, that we just acknowledge the sending of God, that he's sending us. I've seen it with kids in our churches. They got the call to the mission field. Uh, But it's not just about going into full-time ministry. It's about responding and saying, God, wherever you want to send me, to whoever you want me to sit down at the table with and offer the bread and the wine, Lord God, and to speak a blessing over them and to declare my blessing over God and his work in my life. Lord, let I'll do it. I'll, I will do it. That's my surrender to you. I just want you to think about how important it is that you take a step of faith today and come to the altar and agree with somebody that from this day forward, you will honor the Lord's call upon your life to be a priest, a priesthood, a royal priesthood, and what he has called you to do. Amen? Chuck? Amen.